0: Welcome to the Heal Your Hormones podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Danielle. I'm a licensed naturopathic doctor specializing in PCOS, Hashimoto's, and infertility. Before we dive into today's episode, I just want to remind you that you can find me on Instagram and TikTok at drdanielle.nd. I share a ton of information over there, so make sure you go ahead and follow so you don't miss out. And if you find the podcast helpful, please share it with a family member or a friend because you never know who else in your life may be struggling with their hormones or fertility and may find this helpful as well. All right, let's get to the show. So for today's episode, I want to dive into endometriosis. March is Endometriosis Awareness Month. And just like PCOS, many women who have endo are not going to realize they have it. So first I want to start off with just, you know, what is endometriosis in general? Well, the lining of the uterus is also called the endometrial lining. Essentially this consists of endometrial tissue. Estrogen helps to trigger the buildup and the growth of this tissue during our menstrual cycle. And then at some point, if we do not become pregnant, then we get our period and the endometrial tissue, the endometrial lining is shed. Now, endometriosis is when that endometrial lining that should just be lining the uterus, that tissue actually grows outside of the uterus. It travels outside the uterus and can attach to things like our bladder, our intestinal tract, and our ovaries. Now, this is a problem because just like the endometrial tissue lining our uterus that can swell and bleed, this tissue that has now migrated outside of the uterus can do the same thing. And what happens when it starts to bleed and it has nowhere to go because it's trapped inside of our body, it causes inflammation and swelling and scar tissue. And that's why one of the major symptoms for endometriosis is pain. And it can be pain in a variety of different ways. Roughly 82% of women with pelvic pain have some degree of endometriosis. And about 21% of women who struggle with infertility will also have some degree of endo. So really important if you have any sort of pelvic pain or infertility that you are considering endometriosis as a potential cause. Now, not all women with endo will have symptoms, about 25 to 30% are asymptomatic, but common symptoms include painful, heavy periods, pain with bowel movements, pain with urination, pain with intercourse, just general pelvic pain, and then bloating and constipation. So you can see the major theme with endometriosis is pain. If there's anything you take from this podcast, pain is a major sign of endometriosis. And that's because, you know, if we have this endometrial tissue that is attached to the bladder, then we are going to have that tissue, you know, causing inflammation, causing swelling and scar tissue on the bladder, and that's going to cause pain with urination. If we have these adhesions attached to our digestive tract, then that's going to cause pain with bowel movements. And then when the pain with intercourse, you know, I think that this is a common thing that women are made to think that is normal and that we shouldn't talk about or we shouldn't question. But pain with intercourse is not normal and can also be a sign of endo. Now, when it comes to getting diagnosed with endometriosis, on average, it takes a woman 10 years to get diagnosed. Think about that. 10 years of living with pain or heavy periods or combination of both, potentially 10 years of struggling to get pregnant before they get an answer. And that's why I think it's so important that we're talking about this and you know what signs to watch for so that you are not one of those women who has to wait 10 years to get answers. Typically, a diagnosis is partially assumed based on symptoms because there's not a Specific blood test that can tell you yes or no you have endometriosis So it's usually assumed based on symptoms like the ones we just talked about pain being number one and family history now the gold standard the way that you are going to get a definitive diagnosis is through something called laparoscopy And this is basically when a small camera is inserted into your abdomen and they look for these adhesions that are outside of the uterus. Now some things that we can see on labs that wouldn't necessarily be a way to diagnose endometriosis but a way to assess maybe why endometriosis flare-ups are happening One is high estrogen. So this is something that I test for with the Dutch test, which is a urine hormone panel. Um, It looks at different types of estrogen, and there are actually certain types of estrogen that can cause more symptoms with endo versus other types of estrogen. And it's going to be really helpful because depending on how your body naturally prefers to break down estrogen we can use diet and supplements to help support your body to break it down in a way that's not going to impact your endo as much and then we often see high inflammation so we can see this through a marker called crp which stands for c-reactive protein and this is just a general marker for inflammation in the body so this is something that i'll usually test for with my endo patients we'll look at estrogen all the different types as well as inflammation with conventional medicine, some just kind of standard conventional treatments. One is going to be NSAID, so something like ibuprofen to help with the pain and inflammation. Now, of course, that is not necessarily treating anything, it's just kind of getting you through your periods so you can hopefully live your life. Birth control is also often prescribed, and this is because if you are on birth control and you are not getting your period, meaning that endometrial tissue is not building up and being shed each month, then you are going to have less of a chance of having that endometrial tissue grow and travel outside the uterus if you are already prone to having endometriosis. So essentially, endoflare-ups are more common in those who have a period, and that's why the birth control pill might be prescribed. Now, progesterone can also be prescribed. So something like Provera, which is a progesterone prescription, or even the Mirena IUD, which is the IUD that has low-dose progesterone, um, this can help suppress the growth of that endometrial tissue as well. So along with birth control, progesterone, and NSAIDs, excision surgery is what typically women will have to go to if their pain becomes too severe. And essentially this is when a gynecologist will go in and surgically remove the endometrial tissue that has grown outside of the uterus. Now, this is not a cure. This is not guaranteed to completely clear up your symptoms. It can reduce pain, but it is not curative. I think that's really important for women to know because I work with a lot of women who are misled to believe that if they go through with this surgery, that is fairly invasive. I mean, any surgery is that they that this is going to be their you know their answer to being pain free, and then that's just not always the case. And roughly 36% of women who go through excision surgery will require another surgery in the future to help manage symptoms again. And that's because it is just, I mean, nearly impossible to get all of the adhesions. Oftentimes, you know, a small amount of endometrial tissue is left behind, um, and then on top of that you know, endometrial tissue can still travel through the uterus, if it did it the first time, they can do it again. So it's not like this excision surgery is stopping endo, it's just kind of clearing up the damage that endo has already done. Some women will also get a hysterectomy because the pain and the heavy bleeding is so significant. Um, And of course, there is a lot to unpack with that, a lot to consider beforehand, especially if you haven't had children yet. It's not a decision that should be taken lightly, and women really should um, you know, try and consider all their options before having to go down that route because it is such a huge, huge decision. From the naturopathic standpoint, kind of how I help support my patients with endometriosis, you know, really focusing on estrogen and inflammation. So some things that you can do to support healthy estrogen levels First is thinking about how is estrogen broken down and eliminated from the body. And that is going to be through the liver and through the gut. So when we break down estrogen, it goes through three detox steps. The first two happen in the liver and the third happens in the gut. So number one way to support estrogen is going to be to support the liver. This is going to mean eating liver loving foods. So think of foods like leafy greens, artichokes, lemons, garlic, even high quality proteins like fish and chicken. So really just eating whole foods to help support liver health. And of course, reducing or minimizing alcohol content, because if the liver is going to be focusing on breaking down alcohol, then estrogen is going to be kind of put on the back burner and take second priority. A liver supplement that I love, and you can also take this in tea form, is milk thistle, which is a plant. Um, And of course, this is just meant to be education. Always talk to your doctor first before starting a supplement or a tea. Uh, But milk thistle can be really powerful for supporting the liver too. And then when it comes to gut health, eating probiotic-rich foods. So fermented yogurt like kefir, non-dairy yogurt, kimchi, miso, um, sauerkraut, all great ways to help support gut health. And then making sure you are having a bowel movement every day. So the way we get rid of extra estrogen in our body is going to be through bowel movements. So making sure you're pooping every day is going to be key because if you're constipated and the estrogen is just sitting in your digestive tract, then it's going to be potentially reabsorbed into the bloodstream and estrogen levels are going to increase. Higher estrogen can cause more of that endometrial tissue to grow, which means there's more tissue available to travel elsewhere in the body. So I hope this is all making sense of why estrogen is so important when it comes to endometriosis. So if you struggle with having a bowel movement every day, two things I think of are getting more fiber, but especially staying hydrated. So a common mistake I see is people go from zero to a hundred when it comes to adding fiber to their diet. So maybe they're adding like ground flax seeds to their oatmeal and their smoothies and their yogurt. Maybe they're eating a lot more beans and lentils, which all of this is great, but if you do it all at once and then you're not drinking more water to help balance out the fiber, then it can actually block you up and cause more constipation. So I recommend slowly increasing fiber over time and making sure you're increasing water with that. If you're also still constipated, um, taking a magnesium supplement can be helpful to get things moving. Typically, if you are constipated, magnesium citrate is the best form of magnesium to help um, get things moving. Now, if you're not constipated, magnesium citrate can cause loose stools or diarrhea, In which case a different form of magnesium would be better for you. But since we're talking about constipation and bowel movements, magnesium citrate is really, um, ideal for helping support healthy bowel movements. And then also just considering, you know, where are you getting exposed to estrogen in your life? So think about, you know, the foods you're eating. Are you eating animals that are being fed hormones to help them grow more so they were able to harvest more meat? So maybe choosing, you know, organic, hormone-free meat, eggs, dairy, also considering, you know, if you have been on the birth control pill for a long period of time, that's going to be an external source of estrogen as well. So if you're coming off the pill and struggling with symptoms of endometriosis, you might want to work with a doctor who can help you do kind of like a pill detox to help get rid rid of any extra estrogen in the body. And then lastly, thinking about environmental toxins. So thinking about, you know, are you using lotions that contain chemicals that can act like estrogen in the body? Are you using sunscreen or skincare or cleaning products that contain chemicals known as xenoestrogens that essentially act like hormones in the body? Um, And I know I've talked about this before, but you know, if you're thinking of like, okay, well I wanna choose non-toxic products, but I have no idea where to start. The Environmental Working Group, the EWG, has an app called Healthy Living that allows you to scan the barcode of products, and it essentially gives you a toxicity and safety rating from 1 to 10. And I typically recommend choosing products that rank 4 or less. And essentially, this is going to mean that um, products are cleaner. Um, It'll also list out the ingredients and tell you which ingredients impact your hormones and which don't. Um, and then the EWG even has certain products that are EWG verified, which are just, you know, really high quality, high standard when it comes to safety. So kind of first focus is to support estrogen levels. And then the second focus is to reduce inflammation, which is going to help to reduce swelling of that endometrial tissue. It's going to help to reduce pain and reduce bleeding. So diet, of course, diet is number one. What we eat is the foundation of our health. And we can take all the supplements in the world, but if we are not eating well, the supplements are just going to be an uphill battle. So when it comes to reducing inflammation, eating more anti-inflammatory foods. And I think you can probably guess what these include. Things like fruits and vegetables, nuts and seeds, whole grains, so think brown rice, quinoa, oats, beans, lentils, high-quality protein, so chicken, turkey, fish, and then fat, so avocado, fatty fish can be in that category as well, olive oil, avocado oil. Along with that of eating more anti-inflammatory foods, we're going to want to eat less inflammatory foods. So think sugar, gluten, dairy, corn, soy, those are the top inflammatory foods. Now, not everybody is going to react the same way. Some people might get really inflamed from something like onions like or strawberries, but those are the most common, and if you struggle with endo, I would probably start there with looking at you know, which of those inflammatory foods are you eating the most of and where might you be able to swap it out? And it doesn't have to be an all or nothing mentality. It's really looking at the total picture. So for instance, dairy, say you love your cheese and you're like, there is no way I'm going to get my cheese. It's just not going to happen. Pick something else. And that's okay. You can have your cheese. So maybe you look elsewhere in your diet of where you're getting dairy and see if you can swap that out. So maybe it's the creamer in your coffee in the morning. Maybe it's the milk that you use with your smoothies your oatmeal. Maybe you choose almond milk or coconut milk over regular milk. Um, you know, so just looking at, you know, what are non-negotiables for you. And if that's cheese, that's okay. But then looking at, you know, what is negotiable? What can you live without? Same can go for gluten, you know, can you find a gluten-free bread that you love? And that way, when you go visit your family member and they make you their, you know, famous chocolate chip cookies, whatever, you can have it and it's not a big deal. So all about balance. I've said this before and I will say it again. I am not about the all or nothing mentality Um, you know, especially when it comes to things like PCOS endometriosis, these things are long-term conditions. It's not something that's going to go away overnight. And so it's about learning to live in a way that is going to be enjoyable and sustainable and allow you to feel your best. Along with identifying what foods are inflammatory to you, taking something like a fish oil or a turmeric supplement can also help to reduce inflammation. And this is something, again, I strongly encourage you to talk to your doctor about first. The one thing I'll say about fish oil is that oftentimes fish oil is contaminated with heavy metals. So it's really important that you're not just getting your fish oil from like the Walgreens across the street, but you're really getting it from a trusted brand. One that I love that I have no affiliation with at all is Nordic Naturals. Um, They just, I know, do a good job at sourcing their fish oil Um, and testing it for heavy metals. So that was one that I trust. Um, Especially important to consider if you're trying to conceive or if you are pregnant, um, because heavy metals, of course, can impact the growing baby. Um, And fish oil is one of those supplements um, where, you know, I would almost rather have a patient not be taking it than be taking a fish oil that's low quality. So consider that if you maybe are thinking, oh, I have this supplement and it's been sitting in my cabinet for two years, like maybe it's gone rancid because it is an oil and I got it from, you know, the Walgreens or whatever. Um, but you're like, Oh, I don't want to get rid of it. I want to throw it out. Cause it's a waste. Honestly, it may just benefit you to get rid of it and start fresh with something that, you know, is high quality. And then something else about turmeric. Um, so turmeric, you know, you can use that for cooking. It's oftentimes in curries, Um, You know cooking with it is great sometimes when we're really inflamed we do need a higher dose in supplement form Now I will say I don't recommend turmeric for my pregnant Mamas because there is the active compound in there curcumin can cause premature birth and um, miscarriage because it can cause contractions of the uterus and I often see this being prescribed by chiropractors for muscle tension because it can help kind of release the muscles, um, which is great for many people. But for pregnant women, I do not recommend it. And I definitely err on the side of extreme caution when it comes to pregnancy, especially because a lot of my patients have struggled to get pregnant or struggled to um, stay pregnant. And I just like don't want there to be any Potential risk for that not ending in a successful, healthy pregnancy. So, something to take note of, you know, just want to reiterate why it's so important that when it comes to supplements, you're not just taking whatever, you know, you read online or taking what you see, you know, your favorite influencer taking because everyone is so individual and in what they need. And the last thing I'll mention in terms of supplements is ginger root. Um, you can actually do ginger root with cooking or baking or in smoothies as well. Um, but ginger root has actually been found to reduce pain just as effective as ibuprofen. So something to consider, again, talking to your doctor, um, your naturopathic doctor, your functional medicine doctor about this, but just some good information to have so that you know there are other options. If you don't want to be on ibuprofen, you know, every time you get your period, there are natural ways to manage it. And now two other more um, kind of alternative ways to help manage endometriosis pain that I want to mention. One is acupuncture. I've seen patients do really great with this in conjunction with the naturopathic support. And then also pelvic PT. Now, if you haven't heard of pelvic PT, you're not alone. It's something that I didn't even hear of until maybe my last year of medical school. But as the years have gone by, I have just realized more and more how helpful how powerful pelvic PT can be for women, especially when it comes to endometriosis and pelvic pain, pain with urination, pain with bowel movements. Essentially pelvic PT is done by a physical therapist who specializes in pelvic PT and they help to assess the dysfunction and the imbalance in the pelvic floor muscles. And, you know, we're not always just overly strong or overly weak muscles, we can have a combination of these imbalances and that can further contribute to the pain. So essentially they assess what's weak, what's too tight, what's too strong, and will help to give you exercises and work with you to help balance it out. And that can help, um, majorly improve pelvic pain. Definitely recommend, you know, trying to find a pelvic PT in your area. If you struggle with endometriosis, Pelvic PT is also something I strongly encourage women to do for postpartum and even get evaluated when you're pregnant. Um, It can help with the birthing process. It can help with postpartum recovery. I can go on forever if you can't tell I love pelvic PT. I I should get a pelvic PT on here soon, actually, and do, um, I guess, episode with one because I think that what they do is just so helpful and more women need to know that it exists and, and know what, you know, potentially it could help them with. So I'm going to dive into just a few questions that you submitted over Instagram. I think I answered a lot of them already, Um, but a few kind of having to do with endometriosis and PCOS because they absolutely can occur together. Um, You know, there's no rule in the universe that says if you have PCOS, you can't have endo or vice versa. So somebody said, does having endo and PCOS interfere with fertility? And yes, absolutely. So with endometriosis, you know, with the endometrial tissue growing outside of the uterus and causing inflammation, also that imbalance with estrogen, we can see women struggle more so with fertility. And of course with PCOS, there is, you know, the possibility of not ovulating. And we know if we don't ovulate and there's no egg to fertilize and there's no egg to implant, then pregnancy is just not going to be taking place. And a commonality that both endometriosis and PCOS have is the inflammation piece, um, you know. And luckily, there is so much that we can do in our day to day, whether it's you know eating anti-inflammatory foods, getting more sleep choosing low impact, low intensity exercise over something that's going to be a little bit higher intensity that could potentially increase inflammation in our body. Just finding little ways throughout your day or your week to help reduce inflammation is going to go a long way with both PCOS and endometriosis and fertility in the long run. Somebody also asks best birth control for someone with endometriosis and PCOS that wants little to no hormones. So I kind of already touched on this, but I'll kind of just reiterate, um, the Mirena IUD, which is the IUD that has low dose progesterone is often prescribed for endometriosis because it stops the endometrial tissue from growing. Essentially it stops you from having a full on period. Now the one benefit of Mirena is that some women will still ovulate, um, with it. And I think that's important, you know, with PCOS because the goal is to ovulate and to reestablish that connection between the brain and the ovaries. So that's why I do like something like the Mirena, um, that is going to have, you know, it's still going to have hormones, which we local hormones. It's not going to have estrogens, just progestin, um, something like a Paragard IUD, which is the copper IUD. Well, yes, that doesn't have any hormones that is known to cause heavier bleedings. And someone with endometriosis that potentially already struggles with heavy bleeding, they would not be the right candidate for a Paragard. I personally had the Paragard for a few months thinking, and I don't have endometriosis, but I was thinking, you know, oh, my periods aren't that bad. I can handle a little bit heavier bleeding. And for me, it was miserable, miserable. I had to switch to Mirena. Uh, I currently don't have any form of birth control, but that was just my experience. Everyone's a little bit different. I know people have had the Paragard, the copper IUD, and done okay with it. Their course is the family awareness method, which is essentially learning to track signs of ovulation and track your cycle really well, so that you know when you're in your fertile window, and that you can either, you know, abstain from having intercourse during that time if you're trying to avoid pregnancy, um, or use something like a condom during that time to avoid pregnancy. And then, the last question I'll touch on is how is treating endo and PCOS different than just PCOS? So. Really the primary focus, you know, like I said, they're both going to consider inflammation and how you can reduce inflammation. The primary focus I think with with endometriosis that maybe isn't as important when we just have PCOS is supporting estrogen levels. Now with PCOS, some women will have high estrogen, But not always that's not what we think of when we think of pcos we usually think of high testosterone or high dhas insulin resistance so that is something that if you struggle with both pcos and endometriosis but you're really only focusing on pcos right now i would also think of how can you test your estrogen and support your estrogen um, to further support your endometriosis all right well that is all i have for you today Hopefully that gave you some good ideas in terms of, you know, knowing whether you should be asking your doctor about maybe getting, you know, evaluated for endometriosis or maybe some ideas that you can take to your doctor and ask them for more guidance as far as reducing inflammation and supporting estrogen levels. Um, You know, sometimes a conventional primary care doctor, conventional gynecologist won't be able to really guide you when it comes to the naturopathic support. And that's where a naturopathic or functional medicine doctor is going to come into um, play and really be able to support you in a different way than maybe you've been getting from your doctor up until this point. So of course I do work with patients virtually. If you're struggling with endo or PCOS, definitely reach out to me. I do a 15-minute discovery call with all potential patients so we can just kind of discuss your health goals, talk about what it would be like to work together so that we make sure that we're the right fit for each other. Um, I definitely never want anyone to, you know, sign up and pay for a consult only to realize that we are not the right fit. Um, So definitely don't hesitate to reach out because the sooner you start, the sooner you can start feeling better. All right. Thank you, as always, for being here. And I look forward to speaking with you next time.